listening to Story City Church in Granada Hills, California. We exist to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and with others. And here is this week's message. Good morning, Story City. Good morning. My name is Chris Wozniki, and uh, I lost my voice, so you're in for an interesting morning. Um, For those of you who are new, um, as I already said, my name is Chris Wozniki. You can call me Woz. I happen to be one of the elder candidates here and also get to oversee Story U. I also happen to be part of an amazing ministry that we've been talking about this morning called Young Life, whose entire purpose is to introduce adolescents to Jesus. And I mentioned that again, just to like reiterate that fact, that because we're having a barbecue, uh, and all the money that we raise from that barbecue will go directly to help send kids to camp so they can hear the gospel. So, this morning, I want to kick things off with a little game. Are you guys ready to play? Cool. All right. Um, finish this lyric. Don't stop believing. Hold on to that. All right. Not so good. Rough start. Okay. Um, How about this one? It's my life. All right. Thank you, David, for just belting it out. How about this one? I can show you the world. Beautiful, beautiful. That's how it ends, right? Um, That's not how my three-year-old Abby sings it. Um, Every time we sing it, it's something different. You know, I can show you the world. I can show you the carpet. Okay. Um, I can show you the monkey. I can show you the tiger. Literally, like, everything that shows up in Aladdin, like, that's how the song goes. Um, You know, we've been watching that movie quite a bit recently, uh, and there's this theme that runs through the movie, and the theme is that Aladdin thinks that if only he could change his current life situation, his whole life would be better. You know, after the marketplace scene where um, he takes Jasmine up to his hangout spot, um, overlooking the palace, he says, I wonder what it would be like to live there. Obviously, he doesn't know that she's a princess, right? To have servants and valets and this and that. And of course, she comes from that world and she knows that it's not all it's cracked up to be, right? But Alan can't see that. The grass is greener on the other side for him. He thinks that if only he had those things, then he would have real freedom. You know, Aladdin lives a life thinking, if only I could pull off that next heist. If only I could be rich. If only I were royalty, then I could make Jasmine fall in love with me. If only. That's a theme that keeps coming up. You think about the times in your own life where you've thought, if only. If only I could make that sale at work, I'd get that promotion. If only I wouldn't have sent, would not have sent that text, that friendship wouldn't have been ruined. If only I had answered that interview differently, maybe I would have got that job. If only we wouldn't have moved, life would be so much easier right now. Now what happens if we take that if only mentality and apply it to God? Where, Where does that lead us? This morning we get to explore that question. Uh, Is there an if only when it comes to Jesus? How should we think about that? This morning we're going to continue our series in 1 Corinthians uh, by taking a look at Paul's letter to this church, which 
in many ways, to be honest, was a real mess. Um, but before we do that, let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, we uh, thank you for this beautiful morning, um, for this wonderful weather today, for the snow on the mountains. We thank you um, that we can gather here and worship and listen to your word. I pray that as we open up what you have to say to us, that you would speak to us, that we would be open to hearing exactly what it is that you have. I pray that uh, I would be able to communicate that well. Lord, I pray that I would... um, have a voice to continue for the next several minutes as we look at your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I mentioned we're in this book of the Bible, 1 Corinthians. Last week, Jonathan Solis um, addressed the thorny topic of sex and marriage. Um, today, we're going to take things easy and look at two really just boring, bland topics, you know, circumcision, slavery. Um, if you're new to church, welcome. Circumcision and slavery is the topic for the day. Um, I, I know it sounds really random, right? But the truth is that these two topics were crucial for the early church in the first century, and I'll explain why that is. But what I want you to know is that Paul isn't just like deciding to just talk about two random things. Um, he's talking about circumcision and slavery in order to illustrate an important principle. And that principle is this. Your past and your present don't determine your future. Only the gospel does. I think that's worth repeating. Your past and your present don't determine your future. Only the gospel does. So let's see how Paul gets there. Uh, We'll start at verse 18. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open that up. Uh, If you have a phone with one, that's cool too. Uh, I'd encourage you to follow along and actually take a look for yourself to see what God is saying in his word. Um, Let's go ahead and read. Verse 18. Was anyone already circumcised when he was called? He should not undo a circumcision. Was anyone called while circumcised? He should not get circumcised. You know, all the way back in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, um, God makes this covenant with this man named Abraham. A covenant basically saying that he would be his God and his descendants' God, and Abraham's descendants would be his people. What was the sign of this covenant? The sign was circumcision. If you don't know what that is, please don't make me explain it. Ask your, ask your neighbor. Um, <clears throat> so, at 99 years old, right, Abraham gets circumcised. 99 years old, okay? And then all the men in his house also get circumcised. You know, it's a rough day for Abraham's household. Um, but the sign, right, this was a sign. If you belonged to God's people, you were circumcised. And that's who you knew who was in and who was out. And this becomes such a big deal in the Old Testament because it's how you knew you were saved, right? It becomes an even bigger deal in the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? The Greek Empire began persecuting uh, the Jewish people and based on their status of circumcised or uncircumcised. Why? Because that was a sign that they took their faith seriously. So, circumcision became this thing that people died for, right? Some people wanted to avoid that persecution, so they got themselves uncircumcised. Again, don't make me explain that. Ask your neighbor. Um, So, the Jews knew that their faith and their calling 
was serious by whether or not they did this act. So imagine, right, when the early church comes together in the first century and decides that in order to become one of God's people, you don't need to undergo this act. Imagine how pe some people reacted to that. Some people must have been like, our ancestors died for this thing. Right? So you get a group of Jewish Christians uh, running around the Roman Empire saying, if you want to be saved, you must get circumcised. It's in the law of Moses. So salvation, though, was by faith and grace alone. But for them, it was by circumcision and grace Right? This group was adding to the gospel, saying, you have to do this particular work in order to be saved. And Paul says, uh-uh, no way. Right? It's Jesus plus nothing. So there's this controversy in the early church. Uh, <clears throat> and some are saying you've got to be circumcised. Others are saying you don't. Where it gets to the point where churches, like, they're starting to split within each other about this. And here comes Paul in verse 19. And he says, circumcision doesn't matter, and uncircumcision doesn't matter. Keeping God's commandment is what matters. It doesn't matter. People are fighting over this, literally in churches, disfellowshipping each other because of this thing. Here's what the Corinthians are thinking. They're thinking, Paul, you're saying that if I'm not circumcised, I don't need to get circumcised? Yep, that's right, you need to get changed. Others are saying, wait, wait, I got circumcised and I thought now I needed to undo it in order to prove that I really believe the gospel. Nope, don't need to change it. Just stay as you are, doesn't matter. You're good. Why does it not matter? Why is it not a big deal? Paul's letter to the Galatians makes this really clear. Galatians 5, 1 to 6, and uh, that'll pop up, pop up up on the screen. It says, for freedom, Christ set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Take note. I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will be of no benefit to you at all. Again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he is obligated to the entire law. You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. For we eagerly await through the Spirit by faith, the hope of righteousness. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. Right? What matters is genuine faith expressed through love. Or as 1 Corinthians says, genuine faith expressed in keeping God's commandments to love God and love others. That's what matters. Right? That's the new marker it's not circumcision, it's faith in Jesus. That's how you know you're one of God's people, your faith in Jesus, the Messiah. Verse 20. Let each of you remain in the situation in which he was called. So remain. From there, Paul goes on to talk about slavery. Uh, why does he talk about slavery? Well, Rome was a slave-based society. In Paul's day in Italy, just the province of Italy, about 3 million out of the 7.5 million people living there were slaves. Right, that's 
In Rome itself and the rest of the empire, it was about 30%. So you would expect the church would have at least about 30% of the congregation would be slaves. But actually it's a lot more than that because in the first century, the early church mainly consisted of people who were from the lowest classes and the slaves. Yes, there were some people who, who were rich. Uh, Paul names some of them in the letters, but the overwhelming majority of Christians in the early church were from the lowest of the low, right? So slavery was a very real-life issue for Paul and his churches. Verse 21 says, were you called while a slave? Don't let it concern you, but if you can become free, by all means, take that opportunity. Don't let it concern you, right? Really? That's that's a legitimate question to ask. That sounds so insensitive for Paul to say, don't let it concern you. And that's partly because our understanding uh, of slavery and our, our minds go to shadow slavery in the American South. And the reality is that it isn't exactly the same thing. Unlike shadow slavery, it wasn't race-based. So it's missing that element. But don't believe people who say it wasn't bad back then. Right? They weren't, don't believe people say, oh yeah, they were just like employees or servants back then. That's not true. It was still a horrific thing. Yes, some slaves could have important roles. Some slaves could make money. Some slaves even owned their own slaves. But at the end of the day, in the Roman Empire, these were human beings who were treated as merely property. Right? Aristotle, he calls slaves living instruments. They're just tools. Right? They had no rights. A slave didn't have legal authority over their kids. They belonged to their master. A slave had no legal right to get married. The master had the right to do to them sexually whatever they wanted without repercussions. A master could kill a slave without any legal repercussion either, right? Because they were just property. They weren't people to have rights. They were just property. So Paul's not saying, you know what, it's cool, like whatever, being a slave is fine, like no biggie. He knows better than that, right? So then why does he say, don't let it concern you? It's because these slaves in the church were asking, I'm a slave, how can I serve the Lord? I'm not free to go to church. I'm not free to serve, right? How can I treat my Jesus Christ as Lord if I have to answer to my master, right? How can I be a slave to both Christ and Brutus? Just a whatever Roman name, right? <laughs> So Paul addresses their question. He says, yes, if you get a chance, take it. Be free. Get out of that horrible life. But if you don't get a chance to do that, you need to let the gospel shift your perspective. Verse 22, he says, for he who is called by the Lord as a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called as a free man is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of people. The slave who's called by Jesus has entered into the glorious liberty of being a son of God. He's been freed from slavery to sin. And that freedom matters so much more than outward circumstances. See yourself through the lens of the gospel, Paul says to them. You're free in Christ. That's true freedom. Right? It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. And if you're already free from physical slavery, you need a gospel shift in your perspective too. Right? You're actually a slave to Christ. You can't just go and do whatever you want. He's your master. 
He's your Lord. So whether you're free or slave, at the end of the day, what actually matters is your relationship to Jesus. Your external circumstances don't determine your standing before him. He alone determines your standing. And because of that, Paul says a third time, remain with God in the situation in which you've been called. So, what does all this stuff about circumcision and slavery mean for us today? taking a wild guess here, but probably most of us aren't currently processing whether to get uncircumcised or circumcised. Um, Thankfully, none of us have to wonder about whether we're going to try to get our freedom. But here's what Paul's big idea means. It means that your past and present don't define who you are. Past and present don't define who you are. Um, As we've seen this morning, Paul's churches have been struggling with this understanding of how they're justified before God. In other words, how they're made right before him. There's this temptation to think, you know, I can get right with God by my good works. Back in Paul's day, they thought of good works as keeping the Mosaic law. Circumcision was part of that. But Paul's saying to them, you who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You've fallen from grace. Our temptation isn't to go to the works of the law. It's not to lean in to circumcision or eating laws, dietary laws, sacrifices, that kind of stuff. But that mentality that it's up to me and my actions that starts to creep into our relationship with God in so many ways. Oh, I'm, I'm good with God because I'm a good person. All right, I'm nice. I don't commit crimes, too many crimes, you know. Maybe when it comes to taxes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I even do some bad stuff, right? But I think at the end of the day, the good stuff I do outweighs the bad stuff. So of course, God is going to let me in, right? Of course, overall, I'm a good person, When we say things like that, we take the role of defining reality. We usurp God's role of deciding what makes someone right with him or not. We say God's standard is faith in Christ, faith alone, but my standard is good works. See how foolish that is? Right? God says, I've declared reality. You're not made right by your works. I've declared the verdict. If you put, put your faith in Christ, that's enough. So think of how silly it is to define our own realities when there's objective facts. Right? Imagine if this morning I came up here and said, good morning, Story City. My name is Bob Johnson. I'm a six foot five football player from Iowa. I play for the Broncos and I'm married to Joanna Johnson and we have 10 kids ages 25 to 15. You'd say, hmm, there's, there's something off here, right? Like, there are legal objective facts about each of those things. Like, we can your, pull out your passport. Nope, your name's not Bob, okay? Uh, driver's license. Six foot five, it says you're five seven. Driver's licenses lie. I don't have brown hair. I'm not five seven. Iowa, your birth certificate says California. Broncos, you're not on the roster. Joanna, your marriage certificate says Amelia. If there's a Joanna Johnson here, sorry, that would be really awkward. (laughs) If you heard my illustration, (laughs) 10 kids, their birth certificates say you only have two kids, and they're six and three, not 25 and two. 
right? These are legal facts. You can't just redefine what reality is. But that's what we do when we say, no, 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 my standing is before God is determined by what I do. I'm right with God. I've done a lot good. Or on the flip side, I can't be right with God. I've messed up too much in my life. You don't know my life. If you really knew the things I've done, the things I've thought, the things I've said, the things that have been done to me, you would know God wouldn't accept me. Here at Story City, we have a saying that no one is too mad, bad, or far from God to matter to him. Why do we say that? Because your past, your present, good or bad, they don't define you. There's no use in thinking, if only I hadn't done so-and-so in my past. If only I would pray more. If only I'd read my Bible more. If only I'd serve more. None of that actually defines you. What defines you is that Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago to make you right with God. What defines you is that you're saved by grace through faith, not through works. What defines you is that God says, I love you regardless of your past and present. And I love you too much to leave you where you're at. I have a bright future planned for you. One where the gospel transforms you to look more like my son Jesus. So that's the first truth. The second truth is that your past and present don't limit what God can do in and through you. So let's be real. People have limits, right? Um, look, I'm never going to play in the NBA. All right? That train left the station. Even when I was in my athletic prime, I'm not going to play in the NBA. All right? Regardless of how good I might be at basketball or not, there are some physical limitations. Yes, I know y'all are thinking that. Thanks. Now, I'm never going to run the 100-yard dash in the Olympics. That's not going to happen. Right? I could go to the gym every minute of my life. I could eat well. I could have the greatest trainers. I could watch all the technique videos. That's just never going to happen. Right? I can do everything in my power, and that's just never going to happen because I have that limit. Right? There are things in my life, and there are things in yours, that limit what you can and can't do. And that might come as a disappointment to you. Because we're taught from an early age, you can do whatever you want. But here's the comforting truth, right? There's nothing in your life, no marital reality, no socioeconomic reality, no physical circumstance that limits what God, limits God from doing what he, not you, it's the clearest difference, what he wants to do in and through you. So what does he want to do in you? It's, It's pretty simple. He wants to make you more like Jesus. That's what he wants to do in you. He wants to transform you into someone who loves like Jesus, who's patient, who's kind, compassionate, confident, faith-filled, just like Jesus. Your situation in life doesn't limit how God can make you more like Jesus. It's like, well, okay, well, was... um, that sounds great, but you don't know what I'm up against, right? I have two little kids, and I can't find time to read my Bible in the morning. I have a terrible boss who never gives me time off for church. I have a terrible commute, and I get home, and I have no patience for my family. I can't afford Spotify premium to listen to worship music without ads. How am I supposed to worship Jesus with ads? It just kills the vibe. <laughs> 
was, I have all these things in my life that make it really hard to grow spiritually. If only I could get rid of those things, if only I could set those things aside, then maybe I could really focus on growing. But maybe, hear me out here, it's just those exact circumstances that God wants to use to make you more like Jesus. Maybe he wants you to let go of your own image of what quiet time looks like. We have very clear ideas of what that's supposed to look like. Maybe he wants to break that. Maybe he wants you to grow in boldness at work and just ask your boss. Right? Maybe he wants you to grow in your patience and this is your chance to exercise it when you get home. Maybe he wants you to listen to ads. I don't know why he'd want you to do that, but maybe there's something redemptive there, right? Um, your situation in life, whatever it is, kids, work, school assignments, family, whatever, none of that can stop God from doing what he wants to do in you. And it's not just what he wants to do in you, it's what he wants to do through you. What does he want to do through you? Well, he wants you to make Jesus known and to love others. In other words, live life on mission. Now, there's all kinds of things that feel like they get in the way of really being used by God. As we just saw, there are people in Corinth who were worried that their status as slaves wouldn't let them do that. What's the thing that feels like it gets in your way? Is that your job? You know, if only I had a different job, then I would feel better about taking time off to serve. Or if only I were retired and didn't have to work. Right, then I could really start volunteering. Is it where you live? You, know, you feel like you can't serve God here in this place. It'll be easier. Is it actually going to be easier to serve him somewhere else, like Texas or Idaho or Tennessee or somewhere? Right? It would be easier to, to be on mission if I lived in one of those places. Or is it your kids? I'm not talking about, like, if only I didn't have kids. Um, I'm talking about, like, when my kids are older, or maybe when the kids move out of the home and we're empty nesters, then we can really get going in our service to God. Or maybe if only I were married, right? I'd have a partner for ministry. We could get so much things done. But what if you're exactly in the place that God wants you to be to do something through you? Maybe he wants you to be on mission to other parents with little kids. Maybe he wants you to be a light in your workplace. Maybe he wants you to stay in this city, in this state, in this country, to be a light in the midst of darkness. Yeah, God can call you to change up your situation. He can do that. And sometimes he does. He calls you to make that move, to take that new job, whatever, right? He, God does that. But you need to be careful and ask yourself, is God calling me to this? Or am I desiring this change because I feel like God can't use me in the situation that I'm in? Now there's only one, there's one more if only. Um, one that I've been meditating on a lot and um, we've talked about this in our community groups, our missional communities. Um, I deal a lot with comparison. So it's easy for me to think that I don't have what it takes for God to use me in what he's calling me to do. And I'll be real with you. Like, I'm not flashy. I'm not charismatic. I can't rally the troops. That's just not me. That's not my personality. That's not my character. And I struggle with that because so much of Christian leadership, so much of what Christians have decided to elevate as this is the ideal picture is exactly those things and more. So I think, and I have those thoughts, like if only 
I had those skills, if only I had those talents, then God would use me. Maybe that's you. If only I knew the Bible like him. If only I could pray like her. If only I had those leadership skills. If only I were funny. If only, you know, fill in the blank. Right? And this passage, 1 Corinthians 1.4, um, has been hitting me like a ton of bricks. It says this, I always, Paul says this, I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in him in every way, all speech and all knowledge. In this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. And here's the kicker. So that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. You don't lack anything that you need to get done what he has called you to get done. This final point, one last thing. God wants to use your past and your present for the gospel. Ephesians 2 Verse 10 says this. <coughs> For we are not, we are, we're not, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. God has prepared stuff for you to do. He has a plan, and he's prepared you specifically to do it. Your personality, your talents, your network, your resources, your knowledge, running out of fingers here, your cultural background, your spiritual gifts, all of those things have been granted by God to you for the sake of his mission. And it's not just the good things in life. It's the hard things too. Here at Story City, we also say that your limp is your legacy. God wants to take those painful things in life, financial struggles, chronic disease, loss of loved ones, to minister to people who are experiencing those things and encourage them in it. Nothing is wasted in the Lord. Nothing. The good, the bad, it's not wasted. So, that brings us back to the beginning. Right? Who you are, what God wants to do in you, what God wants to do through you. None of that is determined, defined, or limited by your past or present life situation. The gospel defines who you are. The gospel defines what God wants to do in you. It defines what he wants to do through you. So what's left to do? Remain. I'm going to call the band up. This is, this is what's left to do. You know, Paul has been saying, remain in your situation, remain in your situation, remain in your situation. But it's not just remain in your life situation. It's actually remain in Christ. And I think it's so great that we sang that song, Abide, earlier. I, that was not planned. I mean, they planned it, but I didn't know they were going to sing it. <laughs> because the truth is that, that in whatever situation in life we're called to, whatever we're in, we're called to remain in him and to abide in him. That's where we draw the strength to do what he's called us to do. That's where we draw the strength to grow in him. It's to remain in Christ, so remain in him. One way that we remind ourselves to remain in Christ is through the act of communion.
Now, in the act of communion, what we celebrate and remember is the fact that Jesus died on the cross for us. That like the bread and the wine, uh, his body was broken and his blood was spilt in order to redeem us, to rescue us. So as, as we go into this time of communion, um, I'd invite those of you who've put your faith in Jesus to join us in remembering the one that we remain and abide in. Let me, um, you'll see that there are communion stations in the back. Um, if you want to partake, you can go around to the back and somebody will serve you. Um, and then we'll join together and worship right after that. Uh, let me go ahead and pray for us. Jesus, we, um, we, thank, we thank you that you are just so good at um, taking things that are broken, things that are um, less than optimal, Lord, and transforming them into something amazing. Lord, we're thankful that that's what you do in us, that you take our pasts and our presents, transform them into a glorious future. And we remember right now that um, the way that you've done that is through the cross that you came, you lived, you died, you rose again in order to transform us, to redeem us, to make us new. So we celebrate that this morning and we remember you and your sacrifice. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you'd like to join us in person, our services are Sundays at 10 a.m. and we're located at 11011 Havenhurst Avenue in Granada Hills. Find us on Instagram at StoryCityGH or online at StoryCityChurch.com. Go and be the church.